like to thank the Academy for this opportunity is what I would have said. I said that because I received uh, two items from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, an Oscar Globe. That's the closest I'm ever going to get, maybe, to holding an Oscar. It's a miniature one, so eat your heart out, Shirley Temple. And then the and then the mug, which I got my friend, um, our Oscar host for the party. Um, welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Um, I believe the Mandalorian is upon us, or it's already out. It's already out, so I gotta watch it. I'm not really gonna talk about it. It's been a long and productive day. I don't see days that require my energy at full extent as bad. I see them as positive because it's like, okay, there's there's something to learn from this, and um, so I learn from it, like all people, and. Oh my goodness, last night we talked about Lawrence Ferlinghetti, uh, the man who helped to found City Lights Books, and um, the poet, I love poets, I, I, I always have and I always will, I don't think poets get a lot of credit in this country, I mean, well, yeah, some of you think that our greatest poets are on TikTok, and they're not. Or these pop artists who, you know, try to woo everybody with their love songs, and yeah. And those aren't the greatest poets. I mean, you know, they're not, you're not going to see them on American Idol <laughs> or doing, um, I mean, you know, art, art itself is. Art, art can be brutal. I think, I think many people forget that. Is that art, art, it, it can be objective. And, um, you know, I, as I say this, I'm aware that I am wearing um, a very famous painting on my shirt. And that's Edward Munch's The Scream, which is, uh, <laughs> it's been stolen many, many times. I think. The la the last time it was stolen was um was it two thousand and uh two thousand and four nineteen years ago yeah pretty much pretty much um hmm. and my energy is just so kind of that's that's why I'm doing this early I figured you know I'm gonna have a nice relaxing evening and go to bed and um really dive into uh relaxation as the weekend is upon us and um I don't take that for granted and <laughs> oh films films are so essential films are so lively as is music. I think it's been a while since I talked about music. And uh, 33 years ago, a very famous band whom I saw last week put out an album that changed not only their lives, but the course of music. It's hard to believe it's 
33 years old. It was released, I believe, March. Was it March 24th? When was Violator released? Um, okay. Violator by Depeche Mode. This was the album that really... Okay, March 19th, 1990. This was the album that really pushed them into the stratosphere that they're in now. I mean, it was their seventh studio album. It, uh, you know, it had the singles, Personal Jesus and Enjoy the Silence. Both were top ten in the United States and the United Kingdom. Policy of Truth, World in My Eyes. It, 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 it really introduced them to a broader audience. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> God, I hate when they try to generalize, okay? You got synth pop, alternative pop, rock, dance, gothic rock. There's everything that you could want in Depeche Mode's Violator. And it's, it's a magical album, and, <sighs> When I saw them, they did Waiting for the Night, and um, it was it was a great moment. It was a great moment. Now, I don't want to get in trouble and play the studio releases for you, because, you know, there is that wonderful copyright, but I think when you record it live, it's a, it's a little different, and um, if I can play for you, here we go. That's such a legendary song. I'm sure I won't get in, in trouble for playing it in that way. And then, of course, the song that brought them to a whole new level. So that, of course, is Personal Jesus, which made Depeche Mode ultra, ultra well-known. Oh, my God. Um, to really be in that stratosphere. And they, and they, and 
today if you're not there right away you're nothing you're not it's it's sad you are nothing but the fact that it took them seven albums think about that back then it took you i mean in terms of putting out an album you know it, it took you it took you a while to accumulate your audience you it, it didn't come to you right away and there's something to be said about that or something now here's this waiting for tonight and um waiting for the night That's just a clip of waiting for the night. I almost said waiting for tonight. I probably did. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Um, but Violator. Violator. Violator is that album where it's everyone knows your name. It's almost like Cheers. <laughs> um, during the pandemic, um... It turned 30. That was also the year that Depeche Mode um, were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So famously. And and I always felt it was weird that they didn't really get that moment where, you know, they get to perform and they get to take the stage they they didn't really get it. Here's Dave gone talking about the recording of Violator. Coming to the end, we're basically now mixing uh, with a guy called Francois Kavalkian, um, a New York guy who's worked on a lot of things in the past, like craft work, and he does a lot of dance stuff, a lot of dance mixes and things for people. But he's also worked with bands like The Cure and U2 and done various mixes for them. How does the, the, the process work? I mean, do you go into a studio or do you prepare a lot of stuff before you go in? We prepare a lot before we go in because it's so expensive to record in studios that you can't waste time, really. Um, now it gets a bit boring, to be honest, because when you're mixing, you can't all be around a desk and uh, you basically put forward your ideas on how you want it to sound and then you've got someone helping you mix it. Um, so the, the process sort of winds down. Um, before that, it's very creative when you're actually recording and putting down the ideas, and then after that, it sort of it gets a bit slower. But we do a lot of work beforehand, basically um, working out the songs, um, getting rid of the rubbish and stuff that's not not going to work or that's not right. And basically, with this album, we've been trying to um, pick songs that are very different sounding to Pash Mode. We've been trying to take things a long way away from what, what we were doing before. Um, a lot Why? of stuff. And do you feel a need? Uh, no, I mean we just, you know, I think you, you've got. We always, we've always felt we wanted to move on. Um, we've never wanted to stick in one position all the time, and we're always searching for something new. Um, and in some ways, we've sort of gone back backwards in ways of the music that's sort of appealing to us now. With some of the stuff, it's a lot more bluesy sounding. Uh, tracks like "Personal Jesus," which is the current single, um, is a lot more bluesy feeling. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot more guitars and stuff on there, um, which haven't been, which are things that we have used. You know, we use any kind of instrumentation. We don't like to, to basically limit ourselves to any kind of in instrumentation. Whatever sound fits the part, we'll use it. I think that you can get easily bogged down with all the technology and stuff. Right. But at the same time, we're very passionate about 
the way we want things to feel and we spend a lot of time getting the right atmosphere for something. Um, we're not the sort of band that will just sort of whack things down, you know, just for the sake of it. But in saying that, some of the stuff that we've done on this album has been a lot more spontaneous. Um, there's tracks on the album that are very bluesy feeling. They've got very sort of intense atmospheres that we feel that we haven't had before. We wanted to try and create something, I don't know, a bit more of a sort of live feeling. We spent a lot of time on the road with the last album. I was going to say... It took 10 years and 22 singles, but Depeche Mode is now the word in the music called progressive techno-pop. Tonight, the band is appearing in person for an autograph party at a West L.A. record store. And it has attracted thousands of fans waiting to see their music idols, some who have been lined up since last night. You could hear the screaming all over the Beverly Center area, a line of teenagers 15 blocks long. Like the swooning over Sinatra, the ecstasy over Elvis, and the fainting over the Fab Four, Depeche Mode is today's hot act. I haven't seen anything like this before. Girls were crying, boys were hurling themselves at the limousine. Police say now there's maybe 15,000 kids here. Crowd control problem in West L.A. tonight. The private security force could not handle them all, and police had to be called. Some people are calling it a near riot. Riot police, we are told, have gathered at the Beverly Center. Police have had to make several arrests, and the band was forced to leave early. Seems like I haven't seen that since the days of the Beatles. Reach out, touch space. advertising you can buy and certainly no record company would pay for they delivered the classic record at the right time i mean what can you say really it was perfect single went, went to radio and that became like hugely successful especially in america i think it ended up selling like a million copies or something um, which was huge and nowadays like, it's just it's unheard of you know? we had a big production meeting before started where the band myself and daniel sat and listened to all of martin's demos and it stood out head and shoulders as a perfect track to say, oh, here's Depeche Mode, but not as you know. It laid a foundation that we had no idea what was about to happen. Well, it wasn't really a riot, let's get it straight. I mean, there were a lot of people. I, I, it's not what I call a riot. There wasn't any violence involved. Uh, a couple of people did get hurt, unfortunately, but basically all the fans that were there were very well behaved. It was, uh, yeah, right, Chelsea on a Saturday afternoon. Now, that's a riot. <laughs> My main recollection of the event was that how lucky we were to get so much publicity for doing nothing, you know. We, we sort of set ourselves to sit there for four hours signing records, and, of course, we were only there for four minutes. So not only did we get out of having to do the chore 
but we went back to our hotel, switched on the TV, and we were on the first item on the news. So we got maximum uh, exposure from it, far more than we'd really anticipated. You know, I'm happy to say that was my idea, you know, because, you know, I just was thinking about, okay, what can we do to launch this album that's going to take us into mainstream media? We were on every evening news show around in the country the day before the album was in store. Couldn't have been better in my mind. My favourite Depeche album is probably uh, Violator because I didn't work on it at all and I think it's really great. <laughs> well, for me, I think Violator is probably my favourite. I thought Violator was a standard album, really. I thought Violator was a great record. An absolute perfect album. Violator, obviously. Violator. In my eyes, it was the most perfect album they ever did. I would say the same as Andy, definitely Violator for a lot of reasons. It was uh, an amazing album from one end to the other end. Uh, every track on it was incredibly strong. Um, what you pick as singles, who knows, because it's just a great album and, and you've got a choice of whatever you want to do. Um, and that album did effectively bring most of the media on board for Depeche Mode. Until that point, I think we felt like we'd been hitting our heads against a wall. Um, you know, all of our records had sold well, but they'd all all sold basically the, the same amount, it was virtually identical. And then suddenly something, you know, sort of like... We caught up with Depeche Mode at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, where they played for another typical crowd. 18,000 mostly young, die-hard Depeche devotees. symbol of a genre of music. They're the best. There's no one that's better than Depeche Mode. There's an atmosphere at a Depeche Mode concert that, you know, the, the audience become involved in the whole thing. It's an event that's going on between, you know, both of you, the band and the audience, and they know that they've got to be part of it as well, and not just sit there and watch. They haven't come along to just sit and watch. Hey there, welcome to another episode. I, I always wonder where the violator came around at the perfect time for the band and the worst time for you. Because it was the album that outright needed you, I think. It was like those songs, all of a sudden, they were they were kind of there for a real front man to take and reach the 60,000th person at the back, right? Well, I'd done... You it know, was like Rockstar 101, we, we, that we had album. Done our, we had done our apprenticeship, you know. We had done... We'd paid our dues. Yeah. We were like... 10 years in almost yeah, yeah 10 years, 10 years in. in yeah and you know it really uh yeah i mean it, it changed everything because we had you know we'd never sold that many records and played to that many people and everything took off so yeah everything to say say that everything didn't change or it would be a lie, everything did change. Uh, the perception of the band, the pressure on Martin, you know, the pressure on me as a front guy, everything changed um, uh, around that time. And I think that's why probably when we went in to record Songs of Faith and Devotion with Flood producing, he and he was very, you know, he was like, we have to make a completely different record. To try to try to take 
everything away from what we know as being Depeche Mode, what you guys, and, and you know, you're going to come back round. You start at 12 o'clock, you're going to go all the way round, you move away, but you're going to come back round to 12 o'clock anyway, because that's who you are. But let's take a journey and try and do something really different. And I think we did. We managed to do that, which was unexpected, um, and also a very, an incredibly difficult time for the band, probably. You know, we were... We'd reached a point where, uh, you know, things, the wheels were starting to come off. <laughs> you know, I think that we're at a point now in, in, in this particular conversation, the one we're having and the one that's been had for 50 years, where we try to understand the arts and the artists a little bit better and get inside the psychology and what motivates the expression, you know. Um, my first run for 20 years was just kind of talking about drum sounds because no one wanted to talk any deeper and I didn't have the tools to do it. But I think we're here now and I think we can start to identify some really interesting subject matter, which for me, with you, is what is it from your experience and only your experience that finds a group of individuals who clearly care about each other and understand the value of what you have together in a situation where success, hard-earned, is finally here and yet there is this self-destructive inclination. It's human nature, you know, our personalities are pretty yeah, I mean, similar it, in that way. I mean, we've we'd, we'd done a lot of work, and I'm, I'm just going to go back to the, the Rose Bowl um, thing just for a second, just because I was talking to Daniel Miller about this recently. You know, we, we were literally playing at the Bridge House Canning Town in 1981, and then we were seven years later, we're playing at the Rose Bowl. And in those years, like, you know, we put an album out every year. <laughs> you know who else did that? The Beatles. And they broke up straight away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, and you understand why. Because it, and that's uh, Dave and Martin of Depeche Mode talking about Violator. Violator, and then there's a brief little documentary where you hear the music. Violator really was the album that changed everything for them. Many bands have that, whether it's the first album or the second album or, you know. This was their seventh lucky seven. Um, I mean, if I were to go down the line, I love this album. I love this album. I love all of their songs. That's the thing when they when they put together a cohesive um um album, it's amazing. World in my eyes, classic, sweetest perfection, personal Jesus, iconic, Halo, iconic, waiting for the night. I saw them perform that live. Woo! Enjoy the silence. Massive. Policy of truth. Iconic. Blue dress. Beautiful. Haunting. And clean. Clean. They were inspired by uh, Pink Floyd's. Um, it doesn't really sound Pink Floydish except for the bass. But uh, I absolutely love that um, song. How Dave's voice is just. Woo! It's it's inspired by Pink Floyd's One of These Days from their 1971 album Metal. Um, yeah, and it's mainly the bass and the synthesizers, and um, it's very hypnotic. Very, very sensual, though, at the same time. That's what Depeche Mode is really great at, is they give you these, these vignettes, these moments of musical uh, sensuality. <sighs> Whether it's the the sensuality and sexuality of personal Jesus, because that's really a tagline. They're not really... Are they really talking about Jesus? Come on. Uh, I mean, if you listen to the lyrics, come on. 
Enjoy the Silence, which is one of my favorites. I've always found Enjoy the Silence. The 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 instrumentation and the vocals is very meditative. And at the same time, you know, those lyrics um uh about the words uh, they can only do us harm. You know, Policy of Truth, which is oh god. See, their songs they live inside of all of us and I had wanted to take time to give them their 33 33rd birthday in terms of that album you know because the pandemic just closed everything up it just closed everything up we're talking everything and it's such a fresh album that's a song that or that's a word you should not use lightly when you're saying something's fresh whether it's to describe someone's look or you know uh an album it's it's truly truly amazing I am I am a Depeche Mode devotee. Only since I was in my twenties, I feel that was the best time to get into them. They had just put out uh, Exciter, and they had had that song "Dream On," and it was all over the radio, all over alternative radio. And that's really how I got into Depeche Mode, and that's the beauty of alternative radio. Alternative radio really doesn't exist anymore. You know, you turn on the radio, and it's just like, huh. <sighs> Depeche Mode, Violator. 33 years of uh, a classic. A cla I don't think they went into it thinking they were going to make a classic album. Really, bands don't. They don't think, oh, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it is their uh, masterpiece. And... Um, I'd like to thank Alan Wilder, Wilder, uh, Dave Gahan, uh, Andrew Fletcher, rest in peace, and Martin Gore, as well as Flood, who who produced and mixed. Uh, enjoy the silence. Um, this is this is a beautiful album. And Anton Corp, uh, how do you say his name? I have that book that he put out of Depeche Mode. Um, how do we say his name? Let's see here. Anton Corbett. Anton Corbinchen. Um, so in 20, was it 2020? He put out this really beautiful um, book of uh, Depe about Depeche Mode. Um, yeah, okay, here we go. It's a limited edition. Uh, uh, a uh, DM 81 to 2018, over 500 photographs. When it first they first put out, I think it was maybe a thousand dollars, and then they put out, an, you know, a version that we could all buy, and I I think I paid ninety for it. So I am I am a Depeche Mode devotee. I saw them last week. That's I am still on a high from that concert. You know, to quote Depeche Mode, never want to come down, never want to put my feet back down on the ground. Yeah, that's. You know, never let me down again. But that's not on the Violator album. <laughs> you know, they that's the thing. They had had songs and hit albums before Violator. Violator <laughs> made them known all over the world. That's why it's so important. Unpleasant Dreams. <laughs> 